Good morning. Our reading today is from Exodus verses 1 through 8, and that can be found on page 59 in the Brown Pew Bible. <clears throat> on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandy. If you're the kind of person that notices titles, um, there's a change today. Uh, I had been planning on covering all of Exodus 19, um, but then I came to my senses, and I decided I don't want to skim over what's here in just verses 1 through 8. So the title is called Essentials. We will get through Exodus, I promise you, even if it takes a few years. <laughs> no, it won't take that long. Um, let's Let's pray again. Father, uh, thank you for your word. And as our Bibles are open and our, our hearts are open to you, we ask you to speak. Amen. Um, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm, I'm not seeing our math teachers here this morning. Um, Heather Digby and Kim Gravett. And that's too bad because I have a question that they would definitely know. I'm wondering if the acronym, uh, I wonder if the phrase, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, means anything to you. Jack, yep, okay. So some are nodding, some are like, what the heck are you talking about? It's a math thing. Um, PEMDAS, it's a way to remember the acronym PEMDAS, P-E-M-D-A-S, which stands for parentheses, exponents, multiplication, addition, subtraction, which is the order of operations that you use when you solve an equation or a, an expression in, let's say, algebra, right? So for instance, if you have 3 times 4 plus 2, you could get two different answers depending on what order you do those things. 3 times 4 is 12, plus 2 is 14. Or if you do 3 times 4 plus 2, which is 6, you get 18. Two different answers for the same numbers. So 
It's important to know the order of operations when you approach a math problem, okay? But this is not about math. This is about God and his word and our lives. And so I use that illustration because in a similar way, there is a very important order of operations in our salvation and in our relationship with God. And if you mess up the order, you get something that's not correct. You get something that's not Christianity. There are several factors at play in our relationship with God. There's our obedience of his law. There's his grace and his saving power. There is the stuff he wants to do through us in the world, his purpose for us to bless us and bless others. And depending on what you put first or second or what you leave out, you get very different answers about the Christian life. So you hear people say things like, well, do I really need to obey Jesus' commands? Because my sins are covered, he saved me, I'm good, right? Or you have people that say, I am just doing the best I can, and I hope that when I die, uh, God will let me into heaven, right? That's putting obedience before God's grace. Or you hear people say and preach things like, God has a plan and a purpose for you to bless you and to multiply what you have, but they don't really talk about obedience or what God's grace is for. Do you see what I'm saying? It's very important that we understand how this all fits together. Um, these are questions we can't afford to have bad answers to. If we want to make it through life, uh, keep the faith, and be, um, be clear about, about who God is. So here in Exodus 19, 1 through 8, we have one of the central one of the most important texts in the whole Old Testament and even the whole Bible about what that order of operations is. I am not usually a fan of acronyms in my sermons, but today I've, I've given you an acronym, S-O-N, only because I think it helps us remember something really important. S-O-N. There's a threefold order of operations that we need to understand in our Christian lives. Okay, what's the context? What's happening? Let's open up to Exodus 19. We read that on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, why is that important? We'll come back to that at the end. They came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel and camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So do you remember what has happened in the story thus far? God heard the Israelites' groans under their oppression in Egypt. He sent Moses. The plagues happened. Uh, Pharaoh finally let, let the people go. They were led through the Red Sea. The, the Pharaoh and his armies were judged. The Israelites were saved. They were saved. And now they're brought to the mountain of God, Sinai. Uh, God has fulfilled his promise to Moses when he said in chapter 3, um, uh, 
in chapter 3, verse 12, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So here they are. They're ready to meet with God. But let me ask you a question. When did God save the Israelites? Was it before they got the law or after they got the law that they're about to get? It was before, right? They've already been saved. God didn't send Moses to say, okay, here's my instructions. If you get, you know, if you can follow these commands, then I'll come and save you. If you can be good enough, I'll come down and I'll save you from, save you from Egypt. That's not what happened. God simply cared about them, loved them, had a plan for them, and rescued them from Egypt. And now he is saying, here's my law, right? And so the, the S in our acronym stands for salvation by grace. Salvation by grace is always the first thing in our relationship with God. It's not us obeying God so he will save us. It's God working in grace, coming to our rescue, and, and rescuing us. I love this phrase. Um, well, let's read verses 3 and 4. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I love that image of carrying them on eagles' wings, this strong bird who in, in biblical times, uh, a certain type of eagle would swoop in and rescue her chicks and then uh, fend off the predators and carry them away on her wings. And that's exactly what God did. In faithfulness to his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he remembered his people. He came to their rescue. He carried them away on eagles' wings. And now here they are. So this completely puts a lie to the belief some people have that we need to earn our salvation or obey our way into God's grace. This is essential. Grace always comes before the law. Salvation always comes before obedience. There wouldn't be any hope for us if that wasn't true, right? None of us would be here. None of us would be saved if we had to work our way to salvation. So thanks be to God. But the second letter, the second step, O, is for obedience. Obedience is essential. It doesn't come before salvation, but it definitely comes after. And I'm getting that in this passage from verse 5. God says, Now, so I carried you in eagle's wings, I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then, 
And he goes on to describe this wonderful purpose, this amazing calling he has for his people. But it's preceded by an if-then. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. There's There's this misconception that obedience to God means you're trying to earn something. But in the Bible, obedience is simply spending the grace God has given you in the right way. You are acting on the salvation you have already been given. Salvation brings forth obedience. So Israel was about to get the Ten Commandments and then the rest of the law, which expanded on the Ten Commandments. Um, And In this whole story, we see that obedience is not just a mechanical check-the-boxes of God's rules, but it's actually personal to God and intimate. It's a way of pleasing God in a relationship with him. Look look in verse 5, he says, well, first in verse 4, he says, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. He's not saying, if you just do this set of things, I'll do this for you. He's saying, this is personal to me. I brought you to myself. Obey me. Obey my covenant. That's the heart of obedience. It's pleasing God. It's pleasing your Father, pleasing your your Savior. And the same is true of us in Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, what? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. If my saving grace means anything to you, if, you, um, if, if, if your heart has been moved by what I've done for you, keep my commands. Do what I say. Follow my word. Paul says in Ephesians, forgive one another just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Right? The, the steps of obedience we take are things God has, uh, because of what's God, what God has done for us. So obedience is not optional to the Christian life. It's not some extra thing for some people to try to do what Jesus says. When Meg and I lived in Waukegan, Illinois, we were part of a church, um, uh, and the mission statement was, we are neighbors learning to love unconditionally by doing what Jesus says. We would say that every Sunday before we had our church service. Um, why are we so scared as Christians about talking about obedience? I think it's, um, it's kind of a bad word in some circles because there's a fear that we're trying to earn something. There's a fear that we're somehow, you know, distorting the gospel if we talk about obeying God because we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, not by works so that no one should boast. Ephesians 2.8, right? But I think that concept has been twisted to sometimes mean 
you don't really have to follow Jesus' commands because that would be trying to earn something. Or if you just pray this prayer, then you're, you're good. You're all set. But, but those are misconceptions. The, the, late great, the late great Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So our obedience, again, First thing is salvation by grace. Our obedience is not to earn something, but to spend something. To act on the grace we have been given. To please God. And um, I thought of how Everest modeled this so well. You know, here was a man who just wanted to please God. Wanted to, to know more of Scripture Yes, but he wanted to do that so he could know how to live and how to please God and what to do. He wanted to obey God. And I think we saw a man who became more and more like Jesus the longer he lived and the longer he sought after Jesus' commands. He would always say in groups, well, you know, we'd be studying the Bible or having a business meeting and he'd say, well, we just need to do what the Bible says. It's right there. We just need to do it. Just need to, to follow it. I wonder if, actually, I don't wonder. I know that all of us here today have things in our lives that we probably know are not obeying God. We're not being faithful to Him. And maybe sometimes we excuse ourselves because we think, well, God is gracious. God is forgiving. That's his job. <laughs> but obedience is essential. There's that if statement. If you obey me, then you will fulfill your purpose. I'm not going as far as to say, if you disobey, you lose your salvation, because I don't think that is true. But the fruit of salvation is obedience. So if there's a long pattern in your life of disobedience, you should probably go back and, and question, do I, do I really trust in Jesus? And praise God, he's there for you to repent and believe. But my point is, obedience is important. Obedience is essential. Salvation by grace, obedience... Okay, what's the N for? N. The N is for the noble purpose that God has for his people. It's a noble, amazing, magnificent purpose. Verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. These are like just mind-blowing truths here. Israel had this amazing purpose. Uh, they had an amazing promise. First, they'd be God's treasured possession. That word in Hebrew means like a king who, who has, you know, he owns everything in his whole kingdom, all the wealth, all the stuff, all the crops, but he has his own personal favorite 
like crown jewels. So we're the crown jewels of God's kingdom. It's not that he, he doesn't love everyone in a certain way, but he has a special, um, jealous satisfaction in loving his people. Where's crown jewels? We have an amazing role, an amazing um, relationship with God. And he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Now, we haven't even gotten in Exodus to what the priests are, but priests, as everyone knew in this day and age, were people who were between God and other people, between um, God and the world. And so on one hand, they would talk to God or offer sacrifices to God, and then they would talk to people and tell them what God required and who God was. And that is, God is saying every person in Israel is to be a priest. It's a kingdom of priests. And that image carries through to Christians today. We are people who represent God to the world and the world to God. We pray, we intercede for people on their behalf. We um, hear words from God and we declare them to people around us. I think a helpful image is like an extension cord. You know, God is here. Some people are here. And we can be the thing that connects them, the conduit, the cord. That is a little bit like what a priest does. It's an amazing purpose. The, Jesus said, let your light shine so that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So many parts of, of Scripture talk about this concept. We are to represent God to the world, glorify God in all the earth. Okay, and then he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is a holy nation? He's not talking about a geopolitical entity. He's talking about a people, a nation, an, an ethne, who are holy, different, set apart, special, pure, distinct from the world around them. If Israel had followed their law, they would have been a very, and to the extent that they did, they were a very unique people in, in all their, among all their neighbors. They did things different. They believed in one God instead of dozens of gods. They believed that God required, um, you know, they, they didn't sacrifice their children to their God like other nations did. They didn't um, have you know, their, their worship times to this God didn't involve ritual sexuality like a lot of other gods did. They were meant to be pure, set apart, distinct, a holy nation. That was their calling, their noble purpose in the world. It was a missional purpose. Now, as we, as we funnel this all down and, and collect it, in our lives today. All of these things are still true of us. Salvation by grace, obedience, and our noble purpose. If you mess up that order, you don't have Christianity. If you think, 
Well, God has a great purpose for me, but you ignore Jesus, you will never fulfill your purpose. If you think, I'm going to please God and earn my way to heaven, you don't understand God's grace. If you think, um, uh, God's grace, I must say I'm saved by grace, and then God will fulfill his purpose for me, but you don't obey him, um, that's not going to work either. And all of these things come to focus in Christ for us. S-O-N. That's why it's about the Son, Christ. Because through him we're saved by grace. Uh, When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to our rescue. In Christ we can obey. We actually can obey God. Remember how it said, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. So, why is that important? If you do the math, it's about 50 days after Israel left Egypt. This was to become the date of the, the uh, festival of Feast of Tabernacles which lined up with the 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he sent the Spirit. We call it Pentecost. And Lorinda's class was talking about this this morning in in Sunday school. What happened on Pentecost? God poured out his Spirit so that people of all nations, through his Spirit, have access to God and have the power to understand scripture and to obey God's word. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, if you've been saved by grace, you actually can obey God. It takes effort still, it takes deliberation and willpower and prayer, but you actually have what it takes to obey and to please God. Israel didn't have that. They had God's law and they had um, you know, priests to intercede for them. But we are, in a, we are in an amazing place. And as we do that, we become the people who we're meant to be. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I wonder what if. What would happen if every Christian was rock solid on these truths? We're saved by grace, therefore we obey, so we will fulfill God's purpose for us in this world. What would happen? What would happen if just our church was rock solid on these things? I believe we would see incredible spiritual fruit. We'd see people come to Christ. We'd see real growth in our lives and grace. We'd see tighter fellowship and love. We'd see a lot of Everests being produced as we, as we um, are saved by grace and grow in obedience, and shine for all to see. Let's pray.
Lord, help us. Clarify our thinking. Help us to get these things straight. Protect us from believing the lies that um, we need to earn your love and your grace or the lie that we don't need to obey you or the lie that we have some great purpose outside of Christ. We pray that, that in our church uh, there would be soft hearts yielded to you in obedience and in faith and that we would all know the joy of declaring the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We ask this in Jesus' name. There's no hope outside of him. Amen.